Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey everyone, before we dive into Storybox, I want to tell you about two incredible human beings that have supported the Storybox for quite some time. Now, part of the Storybox, I envisioned being in of service to other people. So the first person that I want to tell you about, his name is Brody Hobton. Now, I've known Brody uh, for a very long time now. We actually went to school together. I watched him grow into a fine, mature, authentic, and genuine human being, young man that has a love and a passion for what he does. Now, if you are a lover of coffee, where are my coffee lovers out there? I'm personally not a coffee lover, but still, I'm promoting it more for the fact that I know it's going to benefit you guys as well as I believe in what Brody is doing. Now, he's a local business owner out of Western Sydney who is passionate about people and coffee. He believes that there is this unique power with bringing people together through coffee. It is such an astounding thing, isn't it? Food always has this power of bringing and uniting people together. Just, um, it, It's an amazing, amazing phenomenon. But if you want to buy his delicious cold brew coffee, he also provides delivery. You can check out the business, which is called My Mate Dave. That's my mate Dave, available through Instagram. You can DM him. He'll make sure to get back to you very, very quickly. I guarantee you that. I personally vouch for his character as well and his integrity. So make sure to support young, this young man and his young business and his endeavors because he's going to go places. The next person that I want to tell you about is Chris Sheldrick. Now, Chris has been on the podcast before, and if you have listened to the episode, you'll know that he's the owner and co-founder of Thick Cookies, Big Brownies, Banksia, and Passion Tree Velvet. Chris is another amazing supporter of the Storybox. He's a genuine, kind-hearted human being that I really vouch for what he is doing. I love Thick Cookies. I'm just going to make that statement right now. I have a massive sweet tooth, and if you do have a massive sweet tooth yourself, I guarantee you if, you, if you try these cookies, you'll be on another planet entirely. I've tried several other businesses that have New York style thick cookies. I have to say, for me personally, Chris's ones take the cake. He uses premium quality ingredients, Belgium chocolate, New Zealand butter, you name it, they are premium. You know that he doesn't substitute on quality because it tastes insanely good. I love going to his markets uh, every so often that I can get there, showing my support, having a talk with him when he's not too busy. But my three favorite flavors that I, I encourage all of you to buy are Funfetti, Caramel, and Caramelk. Those three take the cake for me any day of the week. Guarantee you, you won't go wrong. You can order yours now, and I, I encourage you, okay, to order 12 
12 of them because you, you're going to you – don't, don't order one. Order 12. And you guys can thank me later because Chris is so kind, so generous that he's going to be giving you guys 20% off each time that you order cookies when you use the code STORYBOX in the checkout. That is STORYBOX. Look up their Instagram page, which is Thick Cookies, and you can also check out their website, which is bigandthick.com.au. That's big spelt B-I-double-G and thick, which is T-H-I-double-C.com.au. Don't forget in the checkout, it is code STORYBOX, all one word, STORYBOX, and you'll get 20% off your order. Also, while you're at it, make sure to purchase their new cookie, which is a matchup between, get this, Master Foods, tomato sauce, and the cookie. It's like tomato sauce in a cookie. I know it sounds weird, but it works. <laughs> so try it out today. Get yours, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you guys for listening to my long-winded explanation of these um, incredible human beings. I hope that you guys really show some kindness and support them as best you can, especially during this time. But enjoy them. Let us know what you think as well. Uh, you can just tag us on Instagram uh, too. But I've spoken too much. Um, I'm going to roll the intro now. Welcome one and all to Storybox, the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning, growth, and you want to improve your life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I am truly grateful that you have decided to listen in today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Have I got the mother of all episodes for you guys today? I had such a great conversation with my next guest that I know you guys are absolutely going to love. And all my Australian friends out there, you would know who I am going to announce very shortly. His name is Ben Fordham. Now, Ben Fordham is a Walkley award-winning journalist who now hosts 2GB's breakfast show, the number one breakfast show in Australia, which is a massive, massive achievement. He followed Alan Jones' retirement from radio the switch to the breakfast program happened in June of 2020 after Ben spent a decade at 2GB's Drive Time host where he consistently topped the ratings. Ben's talents have been repeatedly recognized at the Australian Commercial Radio Awards. He's been awarded Best Metropolitan Talk Presenter five times from 2014 all the way to 2019 and he's voted Best Metropolitan Current Affairs Presenter in 2017. Ben became the youngest reporter in history to win a Walkley Award double in the same year. He won the uh, Walkley Australia's top award in journalism for his coverage of the 1997 Threadbow landslide tra tragedy. Um, uh, and Ben started working in radio at the age of 15 years old, so very, very young indeed to start in radio. Um, but you can tell the experience shines through in all of his work. Um, but as a 
he, he started as a work experience kid on the Alan Jones breakfast show. Imagine being under Alan Jones at the age of just 15 um, at 2UE where he immediately fell in love with broadcasting while completing his final years at high school. He worked weekends on the continuous call team hosted by none other than Ray Hadley. He became a cadet reporter at 2UE in 1995 and then at age 20 was appointed as a political correspondent based at Parliament House in Canberra. That would have been a very interesting experience indeed. It was during this stint where Ben formed an interest in politics and formed an extensive list of contacts in the process. In 1998, so I was only two years old at the time, he spent a year at Sky News as a reporter and newsreader before being headhunted by Channel 9 a year later. And since 1999, he's worked on a range of programs at Nine, including the Today Show, A Current Affair, 60 Minutes, and Australia, Australian Ninja Warrior. Ben is married to Seven Network journalist Jody Spears, and they have a son, Freddie, and two daughters, Pearl and Goldie. And my goodness, like I said in the intro, have I got an episode for you. Ben and I had an awesome conversation, to put it lightly. We dive into all things about family, relationships, how he met his wife, Jody, how he was able to woo his wife, Jody. When was the moment that Ben knew that Jody was the one for him? Lessons and stories from his son, very, very important to actually listen to, and so much more. I know you guys are going to absolutely adore and love this episode as much as I had so much fun um, actually being part of it and getting to interview him. We didn't even touch the surface. I, I didn't even, I even ask him that many questions and I had so many more to actually ask him. So maybe um, in, the, in the near future, we'll get him on again and do a part two. Um, but please share this one around to all your friends and your family. Let them know of this one. Say, hey, Jay from the Storybox interviewed Ben Fordham, uh, the absolute legend. So check it out, listen to it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, also, if you do get something from it, please leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast too. Helps to build this incredible community. Um, shoot for the stars, you know, and keep going up and up and up. Um, your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, also, I have, um, once again, I have left on the Storybox podcast under the sponsorship page. You can donate any amount. Is greatly appreciated um, and I'm super grateful once again. So with that being said, my friends, let's dive into the story box and listen to the story of 2GB's top presenter and radio host, Ben Gordon. Oh, Jay, what an introduction. I'm going to give, I'm going to give a round of applause just for the introduction, my friend. Thank How you. How are you, buddy? <laughs> I am excellent, man. How are you doing? Where are you right now? Where are you? Do you know the Hills District? I know the Hills District well, yeah. So do you know uh, Rouse Hill, the Ponds, yep. Fields area? So I'm like at the Ponds. So that's my okay. Yeah, and I can see. What's that thing behind you? What's Is that thing, something you stretch out your spine or something? That's a treadmill. <laughs> oh, it's a treadmill. That's okay. my treadmill. And I've got oh, it's just kind of pushed up against a wall. Or is that like or do you, you run up a really steep kind of slant? <laughs> my mum runs up the steep slant. Yeah, but I can't, I can't get rid of it, man. I've tried, believe me. She, she won't let me. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. Don't upset your mum. No, that's a good good point there. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for making the time. I've been looking forward to this conversation all year. I know it's been crazy with COVID and everything like that. 
Um, before we dive into your backstory and like why you do what you do, I have one question I love asking all my guests at the start, which is Ben Fordham, what does success look like to you? Oh, wow. I know why you asked that question to everyone because it's such a hard one to answer. I suppose for me, it would be happiness. I think uh, I, I heard a quote once, he who laughs most wins. And that would probably fit in pretty well with the kind of person I am. I, I love to laugh. I love to smile. I love to be positive. I love to have a good time. That's not to say that everything's always rosy or everything's always funny. Uh, but I'd say that that's what equals success in my opinion is being happy and having fun and having a laugh. When was the moment for you that you sort of realized that success was happiness? Was it like this gradual thing over time, over your life? Or was there a catalyst moment somewhere? I think probably when I heard that quote, and I'm trying to remember who it was who delivered the quote. It's someone quite unusual in that I've got a feeling it was something like a, a supermodel or someone like that. It wasn't, you know, a philosopher or a business entrepreneur. And I remember just reading it, you know, in a magazine article where they've kind of got three or four pages dedicated to a certain person, but they just have that one breakout quote that they pull out. Yep. And it just said, um, he who laughs most wins. And I thought, well, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that if you can create your life in a way where you're enjoying yourself, then that's a pretty strong sign of success. I mean, you come across so many people who are successful but are unhappy and so many people who are wealthy but they are quite poor. Mm. Uh, that, that's my way of analysing things. If I'm happy, if I'm having a good time, uh, then I feel like I'm successful. Mm. What are some of the things currently that make you happy and make you smile and make you laugh? Oh, I'd say the biggest in my life is my wife, Jodie, because I think that's the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life, the person who you settle down with. And I married up, Jay. I, uh, I, I chose very wisely when it came to popping the question. I, um, yeah, I, I do often kind of stand back a little bit. And I probably don't say it to Jody as often as I should, but I often kind of stand back uh, just across the kitchen or across the lounge room or in the backyard, the swimming pool, whatever it might be. And I just kind of look at Jody and the way that, you know, she interacts with me and our kids and the type of person she is and the success that she is in her own life and her own career as well. And I, I often kind of think to myself, boy, I'm very, very lucky because, you know, if you, if you stuff up that decision, uh, there are so many other things that can stuff up as a result of that. And look, it's a reality of life. Not everyone is going to have the happily ever after. And I'm not suggesting that our life is some kind of fairy tale. But by and large, we live a very happy life because I think that we're lucky to have each other. I'm certainly very lucky to have her. And most of the time, I think she probably feels the same way. <laughs> I want to ask you, Ben, like how you actually met your wife and what attracted you to her in the first place? Her voice. <laughs> was the first thing. She was a radio reporter, a police reporter with 2UE Radio in Sydney. And I was listening to her do her police reports and she was really good live. And her reports during the news were strong as well. And I was just listening to her over time. And I've always been someone who kind of studies the industry that I'm in as opposed to just listening to the radio or watching the TV. I always felt like I, I started analysing what was on TV or analysing who was on radio and forming opinions on who I really thought stood out from the pack. And 
And Jodie Spears, that's Jodie's full name, she was someone who really stood out as, a, as an exceptional reporter, really good journalist, very good live, because some people can be good on tape, but when you put them in a live scenario, they don't always stack up. And so I called a mate of mine, Greg Burns, who was running to to UE at the time, and I went, mate, Jodie Spears is a phenomenal talent. I think she's probably the best reporter in Sydney at the moment. And he goes, oh, yeah, you think so? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's another thing I've learned over the years from others is when you spot something you like, tell someone, tell people about it. Even better still, tell the person who you, you think is exceptional. You know, And I've done a lot of that as far as, sending people a text message, giving someone a call and just letting them know that you think they've done something really well. And uh, I didn't know Jodie, so I thought, who am I going to tell? So I called Greg Burns and told him. And, and at the end of the conversation, I said, and she's got a great voice. And he said, have you seen her? And I said, no. And he goes, wait until you see her. And I said, what's that supposed to mean? And then months and months later, I was at his 40th birthday party and this girl walks in wearing this apricot colored dress. And um, I said to someone, who's that? And they said, that's Jodie Spears. And I went, ah, that's Jodie Spears. So yeah, that's how it all started. Were you nervous to go up and talk to her? Well, I didn't go up and talk to her. I just kind of waited until our planets bumped into each other. And then I came up with the lamest way of trying to organize a another encounter jay are you ready to be embarrassed on my behalf or go, go you for wanna, it yeah yeah you want to do this you yeah. sure? <laughs> so we started talking about we were kind of out the back of this pub called the rose in chippendale and we were chatting away and and then um i mentioned i said oh look i'm going to get out of here pretty soon i want to go and i want to eat something nice i don't really want to have some pub food tonight i wouldn't mind going to a restaurant or something like that i might have been kind of you know just in case she was suggesting that maybe she'd be up for the same thing. And she was like, oh, okay, no worries. And so then we, she didn't take the bait there. So then we just started talking about food and restaurants and things like that. And we spoke about a restaurant called Bon Ricordo, an Italian restaurant. And then she said, oh yeah, that they've got that um, truffle linguine. I said, yeah, with the egg. And they kind of, you know, they crack the egg and they shave the Parmesan in and whatever. And, and I said, how good's that? We were talking about that. And anyway, we said goodbye. And then um, about maybe two weeks later, I thought, oh, I've got a ringer. It was eating away at me. So I called Greg Burns and I said, hey, listen, can I get Jody Spears' phone number? And he said, what for? I said, I just want to have a talk to you about something. And he goes, business or pleasure? And I was like, mate, don't do this. Just give me the number. So he gave me the number and I called her and she was outside a court somewhere covering a court case. And, and I just launched straight into small talk. What are you up to? What case are you covering? What's doing? What's la da da? And she's talking to me for about 20 minutes going, this is a good chat, but why? Why are we talking? Because I don't know you and you called me out of the blue. And then after about 20 minutes, I said, now listen, I said, reason for my call, I drove past Bon Ricordo the other day, which was a lie. And I looked at it and I went, who was I talking to recently about Bon Ricordo? It was you, wasn't it? And she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I thought so. Of course, I knew it was her. And then I said, um, I really want to go and get some of that truffle linguine. Um, do you want to go and get some? And she was like, sure, no worries. And so 
the next thing you know, we're sitting in the uh, restaurant together and someone was cracking an egg over the linguine and shaving the parmesan and the truffle on top and the rest is history. When was the moment, Ben, that is a funny story, when was the moment that you sort of realised that she is the one that you want to spend the rest of your life with? Well, I'll give you two. Over that dinner, when I knew that, hang on a moment, she might like me as well because at this stage it was a one-way street. (laughs) But over that dinner, I said to her, something came up about age or something like that, about birthdays or something, and I said, "Um, I said, how old are you? And she said, oh, I'm 26 today. And I was like, today? <laughs> it's your birthday and you're at dinner with me. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like oh, I did something with my family last night. And so we did the. So therefore I was free today. But Because I'd just given her a date to go, what about this day? And then she said, sure. Not telling me it was her birthday. So then I thought, hang on a minute. If she's coming to dinner with me on her birthday, she must at least have a possibility of being interested here. So that was kind of an early indication from her. But then shortly after we started seeing each other, she was offered an opportunity to go and work at Channel 7. So I kind of played a bit of a role in all of that because she thought she was ready to try TV. So I ended up getting a video camera out and doing some practice TV stuff because she'd never done it before. I then got a camera crew from Channel 9 to film a bit of a test run, like a a sizzle reel or a pilot or something like that so that you can show it to a network to say, this is what I can do. I gave the tape to channel nine, first of all, and they said, wow, she's really good. And I said, yeah, she's very good. And they said, "Uh, what's the story? And I said, well, she's keen to move to TV. And I said, look, you guys will have this for a month and then it will go to channel seven. And they went, oh, really? I was like, yeah. And I told them, I said, look, I'm seeing her. And, and I said, yeah, because I've got to look after her. Like while my priorities channel nine, I'm, 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 I'm helping Jody. So you guys get a head start. You have it for a month and then it goes to channel seven. So they were interested, but didn't move fast enough because when the tape went to channel seven, a guy called Peter Meekin, who was running news and current affairs at channel seven, mm. called her within 24 hours and had her signed up within 48 hours. So she was off to channel seven. They then said to her, would you like to go to Canberra to be a political correspondent? She wasn't sure she wanted to do it because we just start going out. Everything was going really well. And she said, oh, you know, I don't know that I want to really leave Sydney when we've just kind of started seeing each other and it's all going strong. And I said, no, you've got to go because I did some time in Canberra covering politics and it was a life changer for me. So I said, you've got to go to Canberra. So I kind of sent her off to Canberra. And then the time I really knew was the first time she popped up on screen from Parliament House Canberra uh, wearing this red dress or suit. I don't know what it was, but it was red. And she was standing in a Parliament House courtyard and she just looked a billion dollars and she was so damn good at her job. And because she wasn't in Sydney anymore, because I was watching her on TV so far away, I remember thinking to myself, i got to lock that in because... Mm -hmm. You know, she's in another city, I'm in another city. I really need to send a bit of a signal to her about the fact that I want to be with her forever. So the best way to do that is just to pop the question. So that's what I did. I, you know, a little while after that, I ran off and got a ring. And and then uh, when she was next in Sydney, I decided, okay, now's the time. But it's funny, when I was watching her on the TV that night and thinking to myself, you know, Unless I do something here, I could lose her because I've essentially encouraged her to move away to somewhere else. 
This guy called me. He was watching the same news report. And his name is Steve Burling. He's now the boss of the Today Show. But he called me and he goes, hey, buddy, I'm just watching your girlfriend there on the TV in camera. And I said, yeah, yeah, so am I. He said, I'd be really careful there. He goes, some young politician's going to cut your grass. You know, I was like, <laughs> I just thought exactly the same thing. He goes, and I said, I think I need to lock it in. He goes, mate, you need to lock that in. So it's funny, you know, both of us had exactly the same thought. And yeah, we've been together and married now for almost 10 years. Wow. And what, what can you say? What advice can you give to a young person that is about to get married or is newly married about the secret to having a good relationship or a good marriage that you've, you've well you know. i think i think the first thing is that warning signs are there for a reason you know like um so often i've had conversations with people who are younger than me and they're in a relationship and they tell me about stuff that's going on and i kind of say to them whether they're male or female i go that sounds like a bit of a warning sign you know because it'll be some issue that is troubling them some behavior that might have been displayed and and it's not really healthy and they go oh no but you know he didn't mean it or oh but it was only this once or you know but i kind of say well hang on warning signs are warning signs for a reason so if you get an indication that this is not a healthy relationship or it's going to be a volatile relationship then you've got to listen to those warning signs if you don't pay attention to warning signs we know what happens on the roads it ends in a smash so that would be a key people a piece of advice that i'd have for people and the other thing is what I discovered with Jody is that in previous relationships, there'd always been a bit of fireworks, not always, but often a bit of fireworks. And I kind of thought that I needed that, you know, some of that, you know, fireworks in a relationship and it kind of keeps you on your toes. What I found with Jody is that we very rarely argue and we don't kind of have passionate fights or disagreements or whatever. We don't agree on everything and we have the odd disagreement, but we probably only have maybe two or three times a year where we have an argument over something or something isn't quite right and you know she'll go hey I want to talk to you about this or whatever it might be um, that's a lot healthier than doing that every week or every fortnight or every day as some couples do so if you're in a relationship where there's a lot of tension and I'm not talking about the the good tension I'm talking about the bad tension then I'd say look um, I'd find someone else so that'd be a key thing that I'd say to people there's got to be harmony in the relationship, I think, from both sides. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. A lot of people feel like um, they want the, the opposite. And I remember a mate of mine saying to me once, I said, oh, Jody's great. Like, we don't, we don't argue. We don't kind of have those major kind of disagreements and whatever. And, and this guy said to me, but you need that. You need a little bit of that. You need some of that, that firework. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I do. I don't think I want that for the rest of my life. I think I'd much prefer a situation where – we get along and we love each other and we don't need the fire mm -hmm. in order to know that there's a great spark in our relationship and our love life. That fire sort of creates a lot of tension and stress and it doesn't, it doesn't bring together anyone. It yeah. And look, you've still got to, I'm not perfect, Jay. I mean, there's plenty of times where Jody will say to me, listen, honestly, can you pull your head in? Uh, it might be something I've done, something I haven't done, something I've said, something I haven't said, my priorities not being quite right. So there's still that. You still have those moments where you need a kick in the ass. And, and it's difficult for me because Jody, and I'm not just saying this because 
I'm not talking to her right now. I'm talking to you, but she's as close to perfect as you're going to find, which means she doesn't tend to say things that piss people off. She tends not to do things that are going to upset people. She tends not to make me feel like I'm an afterthought. Whereas I'm guilty of doing all of those things to her from time to time. So it is hard because, you know, um, it'd be different if, uh, if she had her flaws as well, because then it'd be like, oh, well, she's not perfect either, but it makes it a bit harder. I've got to try and stay on my toes because she's as close to perfect as you're going to get. Bit of a challenge, right? <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm hoping that she is going to tune in and watch this podcast. I'm going to say, you've got to watch Jay's podcast because I've given you lots and lots of raps. A lot of brownie points there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm helping you out. <laughs> um, I'm curious, Ben, about you've got three three kids, I believe. Your son, Freddie, he's an absolute little legend. I see the, the Instagram stories that you do. Um, you're taking him down to the local Redfern convenience store you're helping out uh local local businesses and people i believe he's like a, a pastry chef in the making um, <laughs> he's like a little legend and what i'm curious about ben is what have you noticed about being a father what have you learned about being a father um i'm still learning as i go I, i've learned a lot of it from jody because um i think i'm much more of a make it up on the run kind of guy so I didn't read any books about becoming a dad. I didn't read one book. And in fact, um, I was working at Channel 9 on the Today Show at the time when we found out a baby was coming. And in a job like that, you're often sent lots of books because people write books and they send you copies of the books. And not all of them appeal to you. So I remember getting one book in the mail and it was like, you know, some kind of guide on how to be a dad. And I remember looking at it and I just tossed it in my cupboard at work. And I thought, you know, like I didn't even take it home. I was just like, I tossed it in the cupboard. I didn't even look at it. And then my boss at the time, who's also one of my closest mates in the world, Tom Malone, said, did you get that book I sent you? And I was like, what book? He was like, the book, the guide to being a dad. He goes, it was a real game changer for me. I was like, oh, my God, Tommy, I'm so sorry. I didn't. He goes, yeah, I had a note on the inside cover. You know, I was like, I'm so sorry, mate. I better go and grab it. And I, I, I later admitted to him, I went, mate, I, I didn't really read any books about becoming a dad or becoming a parent. Jody had all the knowledge. So she was the one who kind of said, you know, just be careful about doing this. And if this happens, you should encourage X, Y, Z or whatever, because she'd read whatever the latest kind of, you know, psychologist reports were saying from people about parenting skills and whatever. But I just took a make it up on the run kind of approach. And I think that served me pretty well. And also I, um, I'm smart enough to listen to people who know more about something than me. So I listened to Jody and and learned from her. But you also learn from your kids along the way as well about kind of what makes them tick. I remember Jody telling me something once where she said in, in regards to kind of kids' safety and things like that. And, you know, if something bad, God forbid, whatever happened to your child, she was like, there's a lot of research about the fact that you should be very careful about ever blocking your kids if they're trying to tell you something. You've got to be careful about, you know, I remember early on, like a few times when uh, Freddie might have been upset about something that was really insignificant. And I said to him, mate, don't cry over that. Like it was something that was really, really minor, you know, like, mate, don't cry over that because, you know, you dropped an ice block on the floor or whatever. And Jody was like, no, no, no. She goes, they reckon that you should just let that go because 
that's what's upsetting him right now. And you don't want to go blocking emotions because it sets them up to suppress their emotions and not communicate with you when they've got something on their mind, even though it might be just an ice block. And I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And she was like, you know, if they're ever trying to tell you something, you've got to go with it, regardless of what it is. So I'll just tell you this quick story. When about a year ago, Freddie was going to um, orientation day before starting kindergarten. So it's where you go along to the primary school and the parents go one way and the kid goes the other way and the kid gets taken on a tour of the school by some older kids. And then you meet back up in the quadrangle at the end of the 45 minutes. So we're waiting to meet Freddie and it was kind of a big day because he's a big kid now and he's going off to have a look at his brand new school before starting school. But when he walked up to me in the quadrangle, he had this awful look on his face. Like, and I was like, hey, mate, how are you? How'd you go? And he just goes, dad, come, come with me, come. And I was like, Meek, come with you? He goes, yeah. I said, where are we going to? He goes, I want to show you. I need to show you something. And he had this look, Jay, of horror, like he'd seen a ghost. And so I had Jody's words flashing in the head. I'm like, just go with it. You know, like instinct would tell me to go, hey, mate, tell me what it is, what's happened. I want to know what it is. But I was like, no, don't shut it down. Roll with it. So I go, okay, let's go. So I just start following him and he leads me through the playground around a corner and he's still got this look of like he's seen a ghost on his face. And I start thinking to myself, oh my God, what could possibly have happened in the last 45 minutes? You know, and you start thinking the worst, Mm. you know, like how could something terrible have happened in this short space of time and who has done what to him? So we go around a corner and then he points up into a demountable classroom, you know, those ones up higher, they've got stairs coming down and he goes in there. And I said, you want me to go in there? He goes, yeah. I go, with you? He goes, yeah. Okay. I was, once again, instinct previously would have said, why, mate? What's, why are we going in there for? You know, but I was like, don't block it off. Go with it. So, but as we're walking up the stairs, I picked him up. But there's kids walking down the stairs out of the demountable, and they're older kids. And it looks like they've just finished a class. It's the end of class, and they're walking out of the classroom. So I'm like, Surely this has not been part of his tour in the last 45 minutes, but don't ask, just walk along. So I walk up into the classroom. There's a couple of final kids collecting their bags and they're leaving the classroom. And I kind of look to Freddie as if to go, now's the time you need to tell me what this is, you know? And then a teacher is standing there and she kind of looks at me as if to say, what are you doing here? And I went, oh, hi, how are you? I said, I'm Freddie's dad. Was this part of the orientation thing for the future kindergarten kids she was like no and i went okay freddie i'm like this is the moment mate this is your cue to kind of tell me what the hell is going on and i just looked at him i went mate and i'm fearing for what he's about to tell me and he just points over at her desk and i look over at her desk and there's cupcakes on her desk and i'm like not cupcakes. He goes, yeah. And I said, sorry, mate, what? You brought me in here because of the cupcakes? He goes, yep. And the lady goes, oh, yeah, we had a birthday party for one of the kids. And I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm really, really sorry. And I start to kind of usher Freddie out of the class. And she goes, oh, there's two left. And Freddie looks at me and he goes, one for me, one for Pearl, his little sister who was waiting out in the quadrangle. And I went, no, 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 no. And she goes, no, you can have them. I don't want them. You can have them. 
I said, are you sure? She goes, yeah. So I grabbed the two cupcakes. I lift him up and I carry him out of the demountable. And then on the way down the stairs, I kind of looked at him and he dipped his head because I think he realized, oh, I've completely embarrassed dad here. You know, I've stormed into this classroom to find who's the thug who's bashed my kid or <laughs> what in the world have you done to my little boy? And I've walked out with two cupcakes and I remember saying to him, I said, mate, you're not in trouble. You're not in trouble. I said, mate, all I want to know is, I said, did you not tell me what it was because you knew I'd say no? He goes, yep. I said, and so you just told me to come with you to get me in there so you could get the cupcakes. And he goes, oh, and one for Pearl. I said, yeah, I know. I was like, mate, I'm so proud of you because you knew what you wanted and you worked out how to get it. I was like, but mate, how did you know there were cupcakes in there? Because the classroom's up high. And he said, as we finished the orientation, I walked past and I could see some kids walking down those stairs with the cupcakes. And I thought, there must be cupcakes in there. I was like, mate, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine in this place because when you know you want something, you've got to find a way of getting it. And he got the cupcakes and he got one for his little sister too. My goodness, what a story. <laughs> <laughs> what a little legend. My goodness. Oh, mate. Yeah, well, I, and it kind of reminds me a bit of my dad because uh, we lost my dad about a year ago and, and that was very much the way um, dad operated. He was someone who was, he kind of negotiated for a living. Mm. And so he was very good at being able to think three or four steps ahead. And I think I've inherited that as well. And clearly Freddie has where you kind of think, all right, well, if I just ask for something up front here that's unlikely to come my way, the answer is not going to be the answer I want. So sometimes you've kind of got to think about life as a chessboard to think, all right, well, I might have to move three or four pieces before I'm able to achieve the end outcome. My grandfather was very much the same. He taught me a very similar uh, principle. And I remember he used to take me to art classes as I was growing up and our our routine would be on the way home. We used to go to one of those old servos and, and back then you could get like a, one of those killer python snakes for like 20, 30 cents. <laughs> oh, the killer python, yeah. The killer pythons. And, and he also used to get me a magnum ice cream. And Ooh. one day we didn't stop. And my, grand, my grandfather, he looked pretty stern. He looked pretty focused on the road. And I, I don't say anything. I'm thinking, well, maybe he's going to stop at the next one. So he mm. asks the next one, he doesn't stop. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, what the heck's going on here? Like, I want my Magnum ice cream This is and, and my snake. And then we get home and then he looks at me and he's like, all right, time to go. And I look, I stay in the car and then he's like, why aren't you moving? And I said, well, we didn't get my Magnum ice cream or a snake. Can we go get one? And he said, you didn't ask me as we were driving past. He said, you don't just expect every mm. single time that you're going to get something he's like you have yeah. to figure out a way you've got, you've got to ask pretty much yeah. <laughs> he's like, what was you what's your grandfather's name it was reg reg uh, well reg, reg was yeah. on the money mate reg had it all sorted it's he, so he really did he taught me so much that so many values that i hold dear to me especially that one and the principle of if you don't ask you don't get <laughs> yeah well so, I do it with my kids when we're at a cafe. Um, they uh, they kind of kids go through different phases of personality types, you mm. know, where Freddie was really outrageous and um, confident and had a big personality, always wanting to chat to strangers. 
And then when they get a little bit of a sense of self, sometimes they can kind of bottle up a little bit and become a little bit more of a recluse as far as their personality type is concerned. So I used to be able to say to Freddie, can you go in and order me another double espresso, please, buddy? And he'd go into the cafe and say, dad wants another coffee, please. And then he stopped doing it because he was like, oh, no, 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 no. Because he was getting self-conscious. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's a bit of a shame. So now what I do to try and get him out of that is that if he says, oh, can I have a gingerbread man? I go, yeah, sure. Just walk in and go and ask Carlo. Mm. And he goes, oh, no, can you ask? I went, no, mate, you don't ask. You don't get it's like Reg taught you. That's so good. I love it. I think we should t- be teaching kids more about that these days. <laughs> I love the name Reg as well. There's another Reg I know that the famous newsman from Channel 9, Peter Harvey, who's no yeah. longer yeah. And he used to have that big sign off where he'd say, Peter Harvey, Canberra. Mm. Uh, Harves has got a daughter called Claire, and she's a respected newspaper columnist and uh, assistant editor at the Sunday Telegraph. And I remember when Claire had her firstborn, I was like, oh, this is such wonderful news and congratulations. I was like, and you had a little boy? What's the little boy's name? And she said, Reg. Mm. And I was like, Reg. Well, there's a name you don't hear all that often anymore. And I just think it's such a cool name. And so I'm glad that Claire's brought it back. Mm, I am too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Brings back a lot of memories, actually. But Ben. I've got to tell you just a quick one on Peter Harvey. I know I can talk. Sorry, I, oh, I love it. I love it. Go for it. But um, when I was, I was in the um, because Peter Harvey was very good to me when I was starting out, always very supportive. And then, and then he died a number of years ago, uh, which was all very sad. But it wasn't totally unexpected. But years later, I was in the Channel Nine newsroom, and I, um, I, I had a jacket that I hung up somewhere. I just hung it up somewhere, and there was a um, there was a coat hanger, a red plastic coat hanger, and I thought, oh, I'll just use that. You know. It's, so I put my jacket on there. And then when it came time for me to go home, I thought I'll just take it like, you know, no one's got claim over a plastic coat hanger. So I just took it home as well. But then when I was sorting through my cupboard one day, I took the jacket off the coat hanger, the red plastic coat hanger, and it had on it, Harvey, do not remove from newsroom. <laughs> so I'm looking at it and I'm like, do not remove from newsroom. Well, I've removed it because it's now in my house. Harvey, I reckon that would have been Peter Harvey. It'd have to be. So anyway, I took a photo of the handwriting. I texted it to Claire Harvey. I said, is this by any chance your dad's handwriting? And she goes, 100%. And I was like, so I called her and I told her what had happened. And she goes, that's so funny that he, you know, he obviously didn't want it removed. And I was like, well, he's not around anymore to, hang up his coat in the newsroom. So I kind of figure maybe I might keep it unless you'd like it. And I said, I'm sure you've got many memories of your dad. I'm sure you don't need a coat hand, let alone a plastic one. And she went, actually, I'd like it for in my office. She goes, because you always need a coat hanger in your office in a work environment where you've got to hang something up. So I dropped it the next day to News Corp's headquarters in Holt Street in Surrey Hills. And I can remember thinking this is the first time someone's done a personal delivery of a plastic coat hanger to someone. But to this day, it sits in the office of Peter Harvey's daughter, Claire Harvey, and it's got Harvey, do not remove from newsroom. So the message still applies, even though it's a different Harvey but and a different newsroom. Mm, passing down the, the legacy, the those little memorabilia items. Those Yeah, they're good to hang on to, you know, like yeah. when you lose someone like that, if you've got something 
and it doesn't need to be gold jewelry or a Rolex watch. You know, I, I wear my dad's socks because when dad died, mum said, do you want to go through his stuff? And if there's anything you want to keep. And so I grabbed a few caps and a few jumpers and things like that. And I also thought socks, that's a practical thing. So I took all of his socks. And now when I, I get dressed in the morning, I put on a pair of socks and I either think this side of a pair of mine or a pair of my dad's and, and it's a bit of a permanent fixture. I've got my grandfather's cufflinks. Uh, they were gifted. Oh, there you go. They were gifted to Re- me. Regis or another Regis. Yeah, Regis. No, I didn't, Regis I didn't know my grandfather. It was just Reg. Yeah. Oh, was, well, there you go. So they're good little things to have. But how oh, often do you wear cufflinks though, Joe? Hardly ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, just, they just sort of sit in my on my cupboard. In, in well, my, there you go. So, so it's you've got a, a bit reminder. of a spot there for them. Yeah. And what about, what's your story, mate? Have you got, are you, you know, you getting married one day? You, <laughs> what's what's the Jay story? Sum it up for me. I hope so. Um, there is someone and we've only been dating a short period of time, but. Name? Who knows? Her name's Mariella. Yeah. Mariella? Where's Mariella from? She's from Nicaragua. She, oh, wow. Yeah, she's uh, Latina. <laughs> so, wow. She fiery? <laughs> not really no she can't be but nah like she's, she's very placid um, well that's just a stereotype well there you go on the wedding day you can wear reg's cufflinks i will be yeah 100 um, percent. what are you doing for work what's what do you do for work or study so i'm a producer uh, i produce for another podcast i do this as well i do a like filming work all kinds of stuff i have my own business in film but then that didn't really go as much as I planned it to. So then I was actually in real estate last year, left real estate and started doing this. <laughs> and right. it's just been growing and growing and growing since November last year. So, um, and people have been asking me to help out with their podcasts and their radio stuff. And I've just been saying, yeah, hundred percent. I, I can share what I've learned and. Um, oh, good on you. Well, I'm looking forward to listening back to some other editions of the podcast so I can see who else you've spoken to. Who's the most interesting person you've had on? I spoke to a 93-year-old Auschwitz survivor. Um, She was an incredible human being, really positive after she almost died. She was literally pulled from the brink of death from an American soldier. And just hearing her story of how she actually survived the, the death camp was just really... Like for me, I'm a history nut and hearing what she went through, the lessons that she learned and grasped as a, as a result and her mindset as a 93-year-old woman still going strong even though she could have gone the complete opposite. And I was just awestruck. I couldn't, I couldn't not like, I couldn't speak yeah. <laughs> properly afterwards. Uh, but that was one of my, my favorite interviews. And then I also interviewed uh, the founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, Horst Schultz. Horst okay. Schultz. He was um, one of my very first interviews. Uh, we talked about excellence and how excellence can be applied in one's life the right way, which is something that my grandfather, Reg, also taught me. Um, so I was able to connect and relate to to that aspect of the conversation and then i've done over 370 interviews ben like it's gosh it's so well, mate, you, you do a good interview you ask really really interesting questions right from the get-go that first question was a a good one and i'm guessing it probably stumps a lot of people because it's a hard one to summarize when you think about what equals success in each person's mind 
Uh, but you asked really interesting questions. So well done, mate. I'm looking forward to listening back to more. Thank you. I've got two more final questions for you, if you don't mind, Ben. Uh, sure. This one may be a hard one to answer, but we'll see how we go. Um, what is the worst piece of advice you have ever received from someone? <laughs> oh, look, I think um, some of the worst advice I've got is when someone encourages you to get involved in a fight that isn't yours. Mm. Now, I will get involved in lots of battles that are not my own battles, but that's because I want to get involved. I've got something that motivates me for speaking up or writing to someone or having my say. But I think some of the best people to rely on in life are the people who tell you just to take a chill pill mm -hmm. because sometimes the email that you don't send, that angry phone call you don't have is one of the best ones you'll ever have in your life because you haven't had it, you didn't write it, you didn't say it. And in the heat of the moment, um, you know, I'm a red-blooded animal just like any other and, and when something really annoys you, when you're frustrated with something or someone, there is that tendency to fly off at the handle and overreact to something. Now, I'm very quick to let people know who I work with when I'm not happy because I take the approach that I would rather all these conversations happen out in the open rather than me be stewing on it inside and thinking, you know what, I don't think this person's very good at this or that person's fallen short in that department. So when it comes to a work environment, I'm very quick to give feedback about where I think someone's fallen short or how they could do it better. But sometimes with people outside my, my direct team, you know, there are times when I think, you know what, I'm going to send an email to this person and tell them how pissed off I am. And I've got a mate of mine, Tom Malone, who I mentioned before, and we ring each other frequently and we say, mate, you know what? I just want to get your advice on something. This thing happened to me and this person did this and then they did that. And I'm now going to send an email to them or I'm now going to ring them and I'm going to say X, Y, Z. And 99% of the time I say to Tom or he says to me, mate, I wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I think there are other people who almost want to take a front seat to someone else's drama. And go, yeah, no, you should do it. You should say it. Yeah, ring him, text them, do this, say that. And I'm not convinced that it's always in the best interest of the person who's in the centre of the situation. So that'd fall under bad advice when people try and encourage you to start a fight that is really not worth having. Mm. I appreciate you saying that because that bad advice is actually good advice to take on board and don't do it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, it's like some of the most important notes in music are the ones that you don't play and same within cricket. Some of the most important shots are the ones that you let go. Mm. You know, you see good cricketers when, you know, there are plenty of balls in a test match where the batsman just has a look at it and says, ah, I'm going to let that one go through. Mm. Because if you play every ball, you're more likely to make mistakes. So I think it's the same in life. Sometimes you just got to let a few things go through to the keeper. Life is not a 2020 cricket match. <laughs> the big bash. <laughs> it's more of a test match that lasts. Yeah, that's right. Ages. That's right. <laughs> uh, patience. Um, ben, my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question, actually. So I ask this at the end of all my interviews. So you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said 
and everything you've ever done. That might be a bit hard because you're on radio and you told me you talk a lot. So, but imagine they did, <laughs> we'll call it magic, but they've been able to show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Whoa. Um, look, I would only hope that uh, it's well edited and hopefully <laughs> you'd be able to help with that. Um, really good soundtrack to go with it. Yeah. You know, I'd like a, you know, a really good, strong uh, soundtrack that kind of sets the vibe and sets the mood. What are you, and probably what are you thinking? Some transitions. Well, you'd probably want some emotional stuff like there's the um, – there's a great French film called The Untouchables. Yes. Um, and it's got a soundtrack which is just so emotive. So that would probably be for the deep and meaningful stuff. And then you want the happy stuff as well to kind of indicate all of the, the good times you've had in your life. But I would hope that there would be a lot of laughter. I'll go back to that original line that I read from a supermodel in a magazine once saying, he who laughs most wins. So if I got to the end and felt like I was a winner, It'd be because there was lots of laughter on that tape that they were playing to me on my 100th birthday. I absolutely love it. Ben Fordham, thank you so much for your time. Your ben story. Fordham, this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> this is your life on the story box. <laughs> thank you so much, man. I really appreciate no it. No worries, Jay. Thank you very much, mate. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, if I can ever help with anything, I'm right here. And if you want to come in and have a look at the radio studio one day or anything like that, you just let us know and I'd uh, be happy to welcome you in here and share your coffee i don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story i just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today it is my prayer that you would have felt inspired motivated challenged in some way and that you would have learned something new as well if you like to hear more amazing stories like this one you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.